Hello, my name is Chad Vandiver, and I have the privilege of serving as the director of the Empower One Network. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to the very first episode of Empower One Network Conversations. And today I'm joined with Mike Congrove, Matt Jones, and Zach Potts. Guys, why don't you share what you do at Empower One? Which one of you guys want to? I'll go first. I'm, I'm Mike Congrove, and uh, I'm the executive director and uh, in, in the co-founder, but uh I lead the American side. So we have a African side led by David Kaya and we're, uh, we're 50, 50 partners in the leadership. So he leads Africa and I lead the American side of the ministry. Beautiful. Matt. Yeah. So I, uh, director of biblical education and care, which is just a fancy way of saying that, uh, I'm the American liaison for, uh, our Bible school needs in Africa. So, I meet with those guys, make sure that they're being taken care of. And then on the care side, I just uh, try to make sure the guys know in the field that they've got somebody in their corner and just try to plug any holes that that uh, there may be there. Awesome. Zach? Hey, yes. I'm Zach Potts, and I'm the South Sudan liaison. I uh, have a unique role at Empower One. I um, run a construction company uh, to for my income and then uh, am able to join the empower one team in working with pastors in the capital city of south sudan as well as the upper nile state of south sudan and so uh, we planted a church uh, in the capital city uh, almost a couple years ago with the idea that we could reach all 64 tribes in south sudan and so that's a an effort we're working toward and i help our guys on the ground over there with their strategies and planning incredible man yeah we're gonna pick up on the rest of that story later on in our time together today but today our conversation is on best practice for planting both traditional and organic church plants uh, that are not only reproducible but self-sustainable as well and then doing that through church multiplication centers so, Mike, man, you've been involved in this for a while from the from the ground. Like you said, you're you're one of the co-founders of Empower One. Uh, would you share just a little bit of the history of Empower One, and then what led uh, you and then your co-founder David Kaya uh, to come up with a Church Multiplication Center strategy? Yeah, thanks, Chad, and thanks for your leadership in the network and uh, putting this together and uh hope everybody who's watching it's our first one so go easy on us um <laughs> but uh yeah so i met david kaya in 2005 and um actually in rwanda um and we just connected and and god put us together we started working together um initially in south sudan in 2006 it was of course just just sudan then um and the way we started um was uh, we traveled around quite a bit of the country and kind of did some, a lot of surveying first. And uh, one of the things that we observed was that uh, um, there, there weren't very many trained pastors um, that we could find, uh, certainly not in church planting. Um, and, and so what, what the, what we found in the harvest were either cattle keeping nomadic cattle keeping people um or people who had raised in a refugee camp. And so um, not, they, they were bright, but maybe not super educated and, um, and maybe not trained as um, in, and certainly in church planning or uh, 
in uh, in the Bible. And so a lot of what we did was just try to respond to the context that we were in and, um, and, and a lot of credit, most of the credit for what we do in the field goes to David Kaya, our, our African leader and, and the team of, of, Af- that, of uh, other African guys that he's pulled around him. Um, but uh, so observing that initially uh, led to uh, David um, saying, Hey, we, let's kind of call a timeout on the methods that we were starting with um, and let's build leaders from scratch and so um, we started Northeast Africa Theological Seminary, um, and that's what Matt is the li- li- liaison to in, in America. Um, and the idea was to start a Bible school that specifically produces church planters. Um, and um, that started in 2007. And um, and help me fine-tune me here, Chad. I'm going to start rambling. I don't want to do that. So. Oh, you're great. Um, okay. Uh, okay, so... so you know, and that that started in a little town called Kajukeji in South Sudan. Um, and our, we kind of did a hybrid from the beginning. Uh, so most of the churches we've planted since 2006 or seven would be churches under trees. Um, so you would call, you know, more of an organic approach to to church planting. And, and the leaders would be developed and they're discipled and, and reproduced and be sent out from those churches. And, and oftentimes over the years, those churches under trees would they might build their own, you know, mud and brick walled grass roofed um, buildings, but really it was organic and it was all from the local people, local churches. And it was just, Hey, if you've got a really well-trained leader, you would, you know, send him out with a, another person into a community. What we learned over the years of that, with that approach was to follow relational lines. Um, we, we made it, we made all the mistakes um, and we've gone into unreached places, just cold, but the most effective uh, method from the organic approach was to follow relational lines. So, for example, someone would say, hey, there's this tribe that are unreached. And you'd start doing a little bit of homework and you'd find out that, oh, my sister actually married someone into that into that community. And then we would go to that home and start churches in that home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other side or it would be, I guess you call it more of a traditional approach. So David Kaya, Edward Dima, Kenneth Duku, they're kind of the church, church fathers of our movement, if you will, our network. And um, they were discipled by a, um, a missionary uh, from Kentucky. And uh, and it, and he planted in their minds the idea of what uh, we're calling a flagship church. And Harold Cathy is, is his name. Mm-hmm. Um, he's since passed away. And so David, with Harold Cathy, established a flagship church in Kaju Keiji. So this is more of a traditional church. It's a, it's a big, like a building, it's a bigger church. And the idea was um, he challenged David was to try to get that church to about 500 members so that they could pay their, they could pay David themselves. They could pay for their own indigenous missionaries. And so prior to me and David meeting that existed maybe a year before we met and that flagship church um, over the next seven, eight years would go into plant about 70 churches and more organic churches, like satellites all around that traditional church. And so that's the model that we, um, well, part of the model that we were, we've gone with. Yeah, that's excellent, man. I love the fact that you guys follow relational lines and man, there, there's, I think there's nothing better than homegrown church planners that you develop a relationship with. And, you know, as, as we all know, Man, uh, everybody loves Boone, and actually today's episode is brought to, brought to you by Boone here. Uh, Matt, tell us what 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 is Boone? 
Uh, Boone is like African espresso. It is uh, South Sudan's probably their national drink. I would say it's um, take a you take a cup of boiling water and you add you add some teaspoons of Boone and um, it's like five cups of coffee in one. It's the best thing in the world. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, that is, that is the, every church planner's love language. I think it's coffee. And so yeah, that's, that's cool. But that's there. And man, it's, I've, we've had already so many conversations just around uh, being there, around a great cup of boon. Well, uh, as you're leading NEATS, Matt, um, how uh, are you equipping future leaders? Like in the leadership pipeline there, how are you equipping future leaders through NEATS to lead both organic and then now traditional church plants through church multiplication centers? Yeah. So Empower One's heartbeat has always been church planning. Like it, it says seminary in the title, but we, we focus on church planning and um, Edward Dima has called NEATS the uh, Empower One church planning factory. So that's our sweet spot. As Mike said, Empower One's made all the mistakes. We've tried to get into other things, but you know, we're kind of like a in and out burger. We got a pretty small menu. We know what we're good at and uh, we just focus on, focus on church planning. So Everything we do is geared towards advancing the gospel through discipleship making, um, keeping it simple. Disciples, good discipleship make uh, Bible studies. Bible studies turn into churches and churches multiply churches if it's healthy. So um, that is the pipeline. So as Mike said, we're, we're going out in these other regions. And um, the vetting process is these flagship leaders are looking for disciples who have the aptitude to lead and plant churches. They'll recommend them to NEETS. They'll go to NEETS, they'll study for a couple of years, and then we'll send them back to their uh, into their context, trained as church planners to work among their own people. So it's not, it's not necessarily cross-cultural, it's near culture at best, if not same culture uh, sending. Yeah. That's awesome. So you're sending them back to where they come from? Yeah, exactly. So if you're from Western Equatoria and you're trained in NEATS, the plan is for you to go back to Western Equatoria State and uh, plant churches with the flagship leader still in this like discipleship structure. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And most uh, church planners know that is the most successful strategy right now is indigenous planners going back to their hometowns, you know, being homegrown in something like NEATS or an extension center, seminary extension center, church location center, and then sent back to reach their people. Because often, you know, I think that, you know, their their families or neighbors, they've seen God's transformational work in their lives. And that just, you know, is a, it allows them to exponentially multiply a, a church in the area. Uh, well, as as we've thought about locations for planting uh, in Northeast Africa, Mike, did you guys look at a map and, and think about, hey, here's here's who we have and where they're from? Or what was the process in determining where we're launching our church multiplication centers? Yeah, <clears throat> um, we've mostly backed into most of what we've done, um, but there has been, you know, from time to time, there's been, you know, some intentionality and there still is, but, but really, you know, starting in Kaju Keiji, you know, is interesting, Chad. I, um, when we, when David wanted to start the Bible school and really make our headquarters there, I was um, a little disappointed. I wanted to be, uh, I wanted that to be closer to the border of Sudan, kind of where the action is closer to the more unreached people. Um, but what it became was like a little haven. And, um, and, and what it became was um, like a place you could really, um, you puts like really immerse someone in, in, in a discipleship environment because you had the flagship, you had the school, you had um, 
kids everywhere. You, you could go out to the bush and, and plant a church. Um, and so, and it was on the border of Uganda and, and D- Democratic Republic of Congo. Mm-hmm. So what happened is over the years is students came from some of those countries. So they, some guys came from Uganda, some guys came from Congo. Um, and then we did still move around quite a bit around, well, at that time, South Sudan and in 2010, um, I was spending the night in a town called Malakal and met at a, a Western missionary, um, who was working with Darfurians. And, um, she said, Hey, could I send one of our um, disciples to your Bible school? And I said, absolutely. And, um, what came of that was from this one Darfurian, um, you know, he spent some time at the school and then, uh, he went back home, uh, much earlier than he hadn't graduated, but he was so, I need to go tell people about Jesus and start playing churches. Um, he went back to Darfur and, um, faced persecution fairly quickly. And when the persecution intensified, he brought 30, um, 30 Darfurians back to the school where they, where they settled for about two years and they really got trained and, and were immersed in that culture same thing with the Congolese. Three Congolese gentlemen came. They were really quiet. I think part of it was language. They do speak English, but they're just part of their nature. Um, and they graduated and they went back to uh, their home and replicated everything they saw. And we really didn't know this for a while. And then someone kind of figured out that they went and started planting churches. They kind of had a mother flagship church. They had a they were they had replicated the Bible school. I mean, they went and replicated everything and, and, um, and they were, um, very self-sustaining from the beginning. They really never asked for any financial resources. They just pulled it together. And, um, they're w- one of our favorite stories. Um, and then, and then just word got out. And so, you know, you've asked me and Matt, you know, about the pipeline and, and so it became, Hey, if a pastor had some, a disciple he trusted and it, it became relational. So we knew that pastor. He was doing the vetting and who he sent, we knew he had already vetted. And so the word got out and really we had to start to limit who we could train. That's cool. Just, just, just for numbers. So yeah. then we started extension center. So Matt not only oversees this kind of main campus, but he also with his partner, uh, Mawa John Leakey, they oversee um, extension centers. And at one time we had 16, we've kind of had, you know, with COVID and the war, we've, we've cut them back down, but we're going right back up. And I see us, um, so that that's a, a lighter model of the Bible school in, in, in other in other communities. That's incredible. Yeah, I love Mawa's story. Uh, and I got to see him uh, preach uh, in February of last year in West Africa, in Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso at a conference and just fell in love with his passion and his ability to teach. And I know you work closely with him, Matt. Tell us a little bit about his story and, and what he does and needs. Yeah, Mawa is... Um... I call him kind of a Swiss army knife because he's done a little bit of everything. He came to, he came to faith later. Like he didn't have this storybook, um, raised in the church, gave his life to Jesus. He was 22 struggling with, um, with, uh, drugs and alcohol and, and just kind of was hopeless. And then, um, I mean, he came to know Christ and, um, he immediately just dove head first. If you know Mawa, he dives head first into everything at like 200%. And, um, Went to went to school, went to seminary, was commissioned as a missionary into one of the harder areas of Uganda for his training and um, came across David Kaya and just got thankfully got into the, the Empower One network. And he was a teacher 
at NEATS when it was back in Kajikeji and um, taught there for several years, just becomes like a pastor of pastors and a, and a discipler. And um, yeah, so he did that. He, he's done some other things among the power one, but he's been, a, he's been a missionary lead pastor. He literally built a church in his backyard so that he can preach when he's not at the uh, campus. And um, yeah, he's uh he's a heavy hitter for empower one for sure. Absolutely. And we're hoping he even comes to the U S at some point. So if you're watching this and make sure you check out empower one's website for uh, future dates that Ma will be here, you, you do not want to miss his story and, and the opportunity to, to learn from him in the future. Uh, that, that's incredible. I, I, I know we all dream of this conference where some of our African leaders come and teach American pastors. And I think that is so powerful because not only are they seeing disciples make disciples, they're seeing a church planning movement that has, has planted over 750 churches uh, in the existence of a power one, which is historic. And it's incredible to see that. And what I love is these churches aren't churches that live for maybe two to, to four weeks, right? They have deep roots planted in the soil of, of Northeast Africa and are transforming lives and and really, I believe, generations for, for years to come. And uh, man, we could not do this without uh, the help of, of business leaders and, and our donors. And so I just want to want to thank all of those who give to Empower One, both through prayer, participation, and then provision. Uh, and one of those uh, great stories is Zach Potts. And so Zach, uh, I'd love to hear uh, about how you've leveraged your business uh, to invest in Empower One. And what are some of the benefits that you've seen in, in your business by, by doing that? Sure. Yeah. So I um, felt God calling me to South Sudanese people and I got to go on a trip with Empower One in uh, 2017. And um, I don't know how many trip participants um, say they're going to stay involved and, and then actually do, but I just kept knocking on the door and um, got to got to go a couple more times and then and then join the team a couple of years ago. And so, um, but my third trip over, um, uh, when I got home, um, a consulting firm cold called me and, um, I hired them and, uh, told them that I wasn't interested in growing, but I wanted to quit doing so much because I wanted to be involved in, in missions in South Sudan. And so we set up a plan to, um, to help me do that. And, um, we uh, we I hired some different roles to to help me out, and uh, we also um, grew at the same time. And so um, through those blessings, I realized um, that just making money and growing and growing and growing uh, has a pretty limited um, enjoyment factor to it. And so um, after um, we had had some success, I realized that. I needed to set some parameters for what to do when we made a profit. And so I like accountability and kind of structure and a plan. And so one of the things I did was determine percentages um, and set those up. And so I have empower one um, has a, has a, a part of that. And um, then um, other, other missionaries and, and nonprofits and, and things that we we have fallen in love with as a family and, and want to support. And so 
Um, I think um, another big challenge that I felt, honestly, from my very first time in Africa was if I can um, travel uh, several thousand miles around the world and tell people about Jesus, I could do that here at home. And then the whole discipleship model that I saw, which is really what made me fall in love with Empower One. Um, again, I was just challenged to do that here. And so just being intentional with my employees, you know, I always say my my easy work is going to South Sudan for a couple of weeks and and loving on our brothers and sisters there. My my hard work is is every day with the people I, I'm around. Um at my company and my family, uh, local church and a community. And so um, being intentional day in and day out is, is the long, the long work. And so um, had employees come to Africa. I've seen guys go from, you know, prison stories, drugs here in the company to leading their families well being obedient and uh, that's really fun you know those are those are things that that aren't temporal they're yeah. eternal and so i've enjoyed um empower one in so many ways my my daughter came to faith through through my work with empower one and, and she's actually joined me in uganda a few years ago and so yeah that's so awesome man well thank you for your faithfulness and that's that is amazing that um, it's impacted your business in that way and your family. Um, what are some some best practices that you've taken from your business experience and then been able to use to help uh, church planners in South Sudan? Sure. So um, I think um, sometimes we, we could get nervous about. Um, planning things in, in, in God's um, when God has so much to do with the results. But I do think that uh, steadfastness and diligence and, and planning all intertwine. Mm-hmm. And so uh, being flexible with the results and, and who's going to be a part of it and how fast it's going to go is, is the, the patience part of, of our walk here, but uh, just in business and then, kind of what's translated over to what I do with these guys in the field is, is really thinking about what could happen. And so, man, do we want to reach 20 million people in Sudan and South Sudan? who've never even heard the name of Jesus. Well, you know, we wrote down on paper one day and walked that backwards. How many churches do we need to plant Mm. um, to reach 20 million people? And so, uh, thinking like that and training guys to think this, this idea of reaching the unreached, how do you bring that down to, to daily bites? And yeah. what am I going to do today? And, um, you know, when you're talking about multiplication, um, it, it starts out slow, you know, one-on-one, one-on-two. But then, as we know, it, it, it exponentially grows as you get out into the second, third, fourth, and up to the eighth generation. Um, and so I don't know if you want a little more detail or if that's any detail you want to offer me and that's great. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good synopsis of it. Um, and, and just being um, serious about your plan and then sticking to it. 
And so those are those are things like putting events on the calendar and holding yourself accountable, holding others accountable. Um, you know, one of the things we we talk about is uh, everybody likes the big disciple maker and the guy that that we look up to. But if I make a disciple, I shouldn't expect Mike to be responsible for what that person is doing every day. You know, Mike's discipling me, but then I'm discipling the next guy up. And so I've got to make sure that when I'm pouring into these guys on the ground that I'm, I'm letting them know, like they have the knowledge and the ability and God and the Holy spirit's giving them much of that to pour into these guys and to do those well checks and those follow-ups and to, to, ask those questions, you know, when their disciples say, I want to go back to my village or I want to go to this place. Um, you know, and we've seen amazing things where in the upper Nile, where Mike was talking about in Malakal, um, the last time I was there, we had a, a 19 year old young man who wanted to go reach, um, a witch doctor that the president of South Sudan is scared of, yeah. you know? And so how do we, how do we, you know, that happened through, through so many events, but you know, John Monchol had three disciples 13, 14 years ago in the upper Nile. And now there's been churches planted. And just in the last two years, they've, they've trained, I believe 92 extension center students. Wow. And this guy's one of those guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe in 2019, Mike and I traveled to the Upper Nile together. And I was just really impacted because they have a guy kind of similar to Mawa, who's just very passionate. Um, his name's Philip Core, mm -hmm. And he just said, if you guys will let us go, we're ready. And um, we were able to fundraise. Um, that was one of the first times I kind of got to help out, um, in a, in a different way was I helped fundraise for that extension center, which, uh, now we're on the fourth class in that area. And so, wow. yeah, that's awesome, man. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Well, I know in South Sudan and, and Sudan, along the, the border of DRC and Uganda and in, in all of this area, there's always the possibility of political unrest or issues around cattle. And we know recently there's been some stuff happening, Kaju KG. Mike, do you want to share what's happened and then how really the, the church has become a refuge uh, in that area? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, it's just something that we are, we have to um, deal with more often than we we'd like, um, which is um, neighboring tribes that um, come into conflict yeah. and, you know, in America, it's sometimes it's hard to believe, but it's oftentimes over cows, which sounds kind of like it may hit you in a weird place. Like really cows? Yes, really cows. And, um, and it gets tied into their dowry system of how they, of, of weddings and, and, you know, a young man needs to bring so many cows uh, to a young woman's family. And oftentimes it's more cows than he can really gather with his, even his extended family helping him. And if he's not a believer, um, oftentimes they'll go and raid the neighboring tribes, cows. And, and then in, in the midst of those raids, there's violence because the, the guys who guard those cows have, uh, 
guns and um and so then there's a cycle of of, of vengeance and and yeah. so what you're referencing chad is is exactly what happened um outside of our headquarters uh last week actually um there was a neighboring tribe that had had a really bad um flood last year and so they they moved their cows um into near the community of a different tribe and um and there was this conflict and so unfortunately some some violence did occur um and and uh, it affected a significant number of people well they it's just like you hear you know the word word sanctuary of church they they ran to um a couple churches in uh, our headquarters Kajukeji and one of them was um our primary church there and um we had i mean started off with 600 people became several thousand that were there and fortunately thanks to again like you, we thanked our our good friends and donors and church partners here who've given us the resources to help in those kind of situations provide food and shelter and and help with um uh, funerals and kids and all kinds of things um and so it's and we were able to be the hands and feet of Christ and 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 the good news is the that fighting stopped. Um, the government came in. They're, they're moving all those cows and those people, um, those cattle keepers, actually out of the community to eliminate even the tension. So it's been been resolved or it's getting resolved. But um, but the church really stepped up. And and in fact, when the government officials came, they met at our church compound um, and because it was the place to coordinate. Because most of the the people who had been displaced uh, were there. And so, you know, it's a great opportunity. Really, in, like I said, to take care of people in need. I mean, they're, they're, you know, food, shelter, the basic clean water, these basic needs that people need. And in the midst of that, you know, it's an opportunity to tell them about why we want to provide that. It's because yeah. Jesus loves us and we want to extend that love to them and, of course, tell them about, about Christ. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I love that story and the, the fact that the church was refugees, because I think as we think about these first 15 church publication centers, you know, in uh, Sudan, South Sudan and the DRC, you know, the, the, the church can be a refuge there. You can have a place where people can can gather uh, when they need safety. What are some other benefits you guys see? I know, man, in looking at it, it's the most holistic strategy I've ever seen. Uh, and so, you know, having a, a seminary extension center primary and secondary school, pharmacy and clinic, a water kiosk, and then a radio tower. That's incredible. Uh, what are, what are, what do you guys see? You guys have been, been doing this for a while. What do you guys see are some other benefits other than the church being a refuge there? Yeah, I think that um, one of the, you know, spiritually they're self-sustaining, obviously. Um, we have some really, really strong leaders. And as Zach said, just over, over a decade, the exponential growth of those leaders. I mean, there's a really strong network of leaders and pastors throughout that geographic area, but kind of one of the, the weak spots is just financial uh, sustainability. So we're hoping that through these things that you mentioned, the water kiosk and the primary school, some of these revenue generators, this will, this will not only allow them to be self-sustaining spiritually, but also self-sustaining financially to where they don't have to look for funding to the West to go send missionaries. Like we've already seen DRC. They've, they've sent some, they've sent a missionary uh, to the South and uh, he's doing work among the pygmies in, uh, in DRC. So we're hoping that we can see some more self-sustaining ministry come out of these, these areas where they actually feel empowered and uh, freed to um, 
do ministry as they see fit. Like Philip Kaur said, if you guys just let us go, we're going to go. And um, we're hoping that this empowers them and that they can, um, they can see this as an opportunity to go as they see fit. Now, wait a second. You mentioned pygmies. What, what's going on with, with the pygmies? Who are the pygmies in the, the DRC? Uh, the pygmies are a tree dwelling tribe that are, uh, they're small in stature and, um, they're nomads. They, um, live in trees. They're kind of culturally, some people see them as subhuman and they're taken as slaves and doing all kinds of weird ritualistic things. But, um, a few years back, William Udar, who leads the DRC team and a man named Adubango just were burdened with, uh, with the need to take the gospel to the pygmies, just an overlooked people, but they knew that Jesus loved him and they felt the burden to take, take the gospel to him. So they would travel about 200 kilometers uh, at a time to go on mission trips to uh, the rainforest and um, prayed for God to provide them a way to reach these people and do ministry. And God provided a pygmy named Bahati who um, came to faith early and uh they trained him to, they discipled him to do ministry. They taught him the Evangel Cube, and uh, he would go to uh, different pygmy settlements and um, use the Evangel Cube to uh, do evangelism. And um, yeah, so Bahati was doing that. And then um, now, like Adubango last, I think it was 2020, April 2020, was actually killed on a mission trip by a warring tribe in DRC. And um but God, God redeemed that. Like God's going to do what he's going to do. So there's another man that kind of knew Empower One by name, but wasn't in the network and just said, hey, I heard you guys are trying to reach the pygmies and God wants me to go. So they gathered the church to get the churches together, denominations and uh, pulled their money together. And they've commissioned this missionary to the pygmies. And um, it's been really it's been really cool to get to kind of watch from a distance. That's awesome, man. That's a great story. It's it's neat how God calls out specific indigenous, indigenous leaders to reach certain people groups or certain kinds of people throughout the world, and that continues to go go on. Um, and you know that that really is what makes a movement self sustainable. Is this this you know continuing uh, ongoing group of people who believe in church multiplication, and then of course that those disciples that make disciples make it reproducible. Um, how do you see that happening, Mike, uh, as we, we were looking at planting over 750 churches in the next 10 years through 15 church multiplication centers? What does that look like based on your experience so far? Yeah, um, I think, you know, it's you know, a lot of times people talk about when you're starting something, you know, you're pushing this flywheel and you're just like pushing super hard. And, and I think, um, you know, Zach said it well earlier about when you're when you're starting what you hope becomes multiplication, it starts small, you know, and the numbers seem small. But, you know, what's happening at this point is um, the wheels starting to spin a little bit. You know, we're starting to we have momentum in this discipleship and this multiplication process. But, you know, what I the way we see it are these these 15. So there'll be 11 of these flagships in South Sudan, uh, three in Sudan and one in in Congo. And And the idea is to have those up and running by 2032. And we put pretty conservative, modest expectations on them, and um, which is that you know, all, each flagship needs to plant at least fifty churches by then, and then um, and be p- training at least thirty church planters each um, by twenty thirty two. So that'd be four hundred and fifty church planters, including our Bible school, every every year. Um, and so 
And we think that's very conservative, by the way, you know, because our, our typical, you know, um, extension center needs, it, it might have 30, but there's oftentimes we've gone way over 50. We've had in our primary school, we've had well over a hundred students. So, um, so again, we think that's pretty conservative. We think 50 churches is really conservative. That's 750 churches um, just from the just from the flagships. But I think when you start combining 50 flagships, sorry, 50 plant church plants just from the flagship, in addition to 450 new church planters each year, that's where you can start to see the multiplication. So even if only half go out and plant churches, that plant churches, um, you start to really get momentum and and you get the the multiplication effect um, to hit. And, you know, Zach hit it on the upper now. I know we're using some geographies that people may not be familiar with, but, you know, that's the northeast part of South Sudan, right on the border of Egypt and, I'm sorry, uh, Ethiopia and and Sudan. And just to reiterate his story again, you know, 2010, there's basically three or four or five guys, Mm -hmm. and they now have multiple training centers, multiple church, an entire church network that expands around a place, you know, maybe half the size of Arkansas, maybe a quarter, maybe a third of the size of Arkansas. And so um, uh, we're starting to see this multiplication effect, you know, and one little fun story I know know, is with the go back to when we got the Darfurians, the first Sudanese and that first class of 30 guys, you know, they, we got reports in the next 24, 36 months of one went to Iraq, one went to Germany, one went to Indonesia, uh, one's in Kansas City. <laughs> so they, they just, they went all over. And so we, we will see that effect or, you know, what we can track, we'll keep tracking. Sometimes you can't when they, when they go global like that. So we're, we're excited to see that. That's incredible. You know, one of the things I love about African leaders uh, that I've gotten to work with is when they think about the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, like baptizing them, they would father, the son, and then, uh, you know, sending, going out to the the ends of the earth. I mean, they're, they're, they're not making excuses. They're obedient. They just go and do it. They apply it right away, which is incredible. And, and oftentimes, at risk of spiritual warfare or persecution or even laying their lives down. And um, I, I've always, you know, having grown up in Africa and, and had, the, had the privilege of working with the African church planners, I was led to Christ by African church planners. I've, I've always been impressed by that, that there's no excuses. And uh, it's something we, I always want to bring back to the U.S. is that, <laughs> that culture and that DNA. Um, what are some some other things you think that uh, any one of you guys could share in terms of best practices for church multiplication for U.S. networks and, and U.S. Uh, churches. I think Matt's going to push the button. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I have an opinion, but like, I think that um, I think American churches tend to complicate it, that it um, you need a building and you need you need a, you need a building campaign and you need all this upfront cost. But, you know, if you just follow the model from Acts chapter 14, like you pray and you fast, uh, you evangelize, you preach, you make disciples. And then um, if we it would acknowledge the biblical definition of church, it's not a building, it's a group of people who gather together. So um, if we could get back to that and not make it about the Sunday morning, but. Oh, wow. We, uh, you can, you can hear me, right? We, yeah, a little technical difficulty there. Matt just All dropped right. off. Yeah. But, uh, Hey, I'll jump in right where, where maybe not quite where he left off, but just sort of my 
side of it. I, you know, I think the thing that the 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 place in Africa we work, um, I mean, Africa is a big place and, and it's not a country, <laughs> but, but uh, there's lots of countries there. But um, where we worked, you know, what I what I have been struck with is um, the relational aspect of just life overall. So yeah. there's ways that play out. And I'm going to tie it to what the I think the American church could gain from it. Um, but, uh, you know, there oftentimes when you start going or you're new there, um, you'll, you'll find that people don't want to disagree with you or tell you no. And, mm-hmm. and as an American that you kind of struggle with that because, you know, we, we value this, like, no, tell the truth. We want to know, we want to get to the truth. And, and it's not that there's no, dece- it's not, this isn't a deceptive thing. It is a, I want to speaking as the African, you know, man or woman, it's like, they're thinking, I want to be your friend for the rest of our lives. So, let's start off on the right foot and let's, uh, let's get, let's be together. Um, and I think the way that plays out is there is such a high value in relationships. Nice. So this, uh, you know, for us, we make appointments for community. You know, we have to like schedule it and be super intentional to live in community, even in our local churches. Yeah. And what I have learned from my friends in Africa is it's just like breathing. I mean, they, they just, our community yeah it's inconceivable to be individualistic and um so i think that's one significant thing um and you know how do you import that in we're gonna have to get over our desire to be individualistic we're gonna have to sacrifice it's a time sacrifice it's a i mean it's a selfishness sacrifice um to to be willing to to get into community and get into relationship with folks so and that can lead to what kind of what Matt was referencing earlier. You know, that's how you go out in Acts chapter 14. It's that, it's that spending that time with people. Um, I think the other thing, and this maybe isn't exactly the the um, multiplication piece, per, per, you know, exactly. But the other just kind of big thing that the gift that I think that our churches in Africa have for the American church mm-hmm. um, is when, not if, but when, bad things happen when persecution comes or just life is hard. Mm. Um, I'm not saying this doesn't exist because human nature is human nature. That's why the Bible is cross-cultural, but I have not observed much fist shaking at God. Like God, their first response is rarely, why are you allowing this fill in the blank to happen to me or my family? God, there's, there's a, God is always good. God is always righteous. He is always on my side. I think they have this, quite frankly, the theology of the fallenness of the world pretty, they have it better than we do, where it's just, no, this is the brokenness of the world and the people in the world. This is not God cursing me or because he's angry with me. Yeah. So or he's, or better said as American, he's against me, you know? And so I think, you know, having that mindset what it does is to your point earlier, Chad, about they'll go wherever it, it's a faith builder. Yeah. And so when you talk about best practices, you know, being relational, having faith, walking in faith um, and going to these areas um, are and are um, are things we could really learn from our African brothers and sisters. Absolutely, man. That's so good. It's so rich. Uh, that That's uh, incredible. Uh, Matt, I, I know you dropped off. Anything else you wanted to add there? <laughs> No, I think I think I said enough. I guess I think I like a little divine sin- signal there that uh, quit being quit being so wordy. So uh, no, but I think I think that um, 
I think that if we would just look at look at the church as the people and not as a building, I think we would uh, kind of get recentered on some good theology. That's good. Yeah, it's in, in, incredible uh, to see, and it's it's such a beautiful picture of the body of Christ on mission that we get to see in Northeast Africa, watching our African brothers and sisters uh, lead in the way they are. Well, uh, I want to thank you guys so much for joining me today on our very first episode of Empower One Network Conversations. Uh, our second episode is going to be around best practices for partnerships. Uh, so we've kind of uh, flirted with that idea a little bit today, but we will really uh, talk about that and, and go deep in some best practices there. But thank you guys. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, Chad. Thank you. Thanks, Chad. Thanks.